This is Space Time Series 23, Episode 94, full broadcast on the 11th of September 2020. Coming up on Space Time. A new meteorite study suggests the Earth's water may have been there from the very start. NASA's planet hunting test spacecraft completes its primary mission. And China launches its 189th spy satellite. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. A new study of meteorites suggests the Earth may have had water from the time it first formed. The findings, reported in the journal Science, add a new chapter to the ongoing debate about the origin of Earth's water. For years, astronomers figured that the giant impact between the early proto-Earth and a Mars-sized planet called Theia, which ended up forming our present-day Earth and Moon system, would have initially produced a magma ocean so hot that any water present would have evaporated leaving the Earth and Moon dry. That, in turn, would have meant that Earth's present water supply must have arrived later. Scientists originally thought it would have accumulated through continued comet bombardment early in the solar system's history. However, subsequent analysis of the hydrogen to deuterium ratio of the water found in comets shows that it's different from the ratio of hydrogen to deuterium in water found on Earth and so astronomers turned their attention to meteorites and asteroids instead. And this new study suggests that Earth's water may have come from materials that were present in the inner solar system at the time when the planet formed. The study's authors have determined that a type of meteorite known as an instatite chondrite contains sufficient hydrogen to deliver at least three times the amount of water contained in Earth's oceans today, probably a lot more. Instatite chondrites are entirely composed of material from the inner solar system, essentially the same stuff which made up the Earth originally. The study's lead author, Loretta Piani from the University of Lorraine, says Earth's building blocks may well have significantly contributed to Earth's water. The findings are surprising because Earth's building blocks are often presumed to be dry. But hydrogen-bearing material was present in the inner solar system at the time when the terrestrial planets were forming even though the temperatures were too high for water to condense. The authors used both conventional mass spectrometry as well as secondary ion mass spectrometry to precisely measure the content and composition of the small amount of water in instatite chondrite meteorites and were surprised to discover that instatite chondrites, which were believed to be almost dry, actually contain an unexpectedly high abundance of water. These days, instatite chondrites are exceedingly rare, making up only 2% of all known meteorites but their isotopic similarity to the Earth make them especially compelling. You see, in any study of extraterrestrial materials, the abundances of an element's isotopes can be used as the distinctive signature to determine exactly where that element originated. And instatite chondrites also have similar oxygen, titanium and calcium isotopes to those found on Earth. And this study shows that their hydrogen and nitrogen isotopes are also similar to those found on Earth. If instatite chondrites were Earth's original building blocks, as their similar isotopic compositions suggest, it implies that these types of chondrites supplied enough water to Earth to explain the origins of Earth's water, even when you include the giant Thea impact. The authors also suggest that the large amount of the atmospheric nitrogen, the most abundant component of Earth's atmosphere, could also have come from these instatite chondrites. Undoubtedly, the debate will continue. 
This is Space Time. Still to come, NASA's planet-hunting test spacecraft completes its primary mission, and China launches its 189th spy satellite. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Okay, let's take a break from our show for a word from our sponsor, The Great Courses Plus. We all deserve to be able to further our knowledge and keep learning. That's what The Great Courses Plus is all about. It's a fantastic streaming service founded on the idea that education should be accessible to everyone, and they make it possible to learn from the brightest minds out there, people most of us would never otherwise have access to. Professors from the very best universities in the world, like Harvard, Yale and Stanford, as well as experts from the National Geographic and the Smithsonian. This is college-level learning, but without the student loans, the pressure of homework or grades, or the need to reside in the US. And the Great Courses Plus app makes it possible to learn whichever way works best for you, allowing you to watch or listen to lectures at any time, anywhere. Now, one thing I recommend that you do as soon as you log on is to go and check out the latest courses because there's some really interesting things that pop up there. For example, this week I saw a new one called Learn to Sing. That's probably one I should take. And then there was this new course called How Science Shapes Science Fiction. That's one I definitely think Andrew Dunkley from Space Nuts would be into. Not that he needs any help, of course. It's a fascinating course, and if you've ever aspired to write science fiction or just wondered how the authors stop their stories from becoming dated as soon as they're published or what all the advanced sciences in Star Trek and Star Wars are really all about, well, with this course, you'll learn just what all that's based upon. Importantly, it'll also show you how science fiction really does inspire scientists, and it will put you onto some great reading you may not have considered. So, why not unlock a world of knowledge with The Great Courses Plus? And for our space-time listeners, you can check out any course or lecture for free today. That's right, free access to their entire library. So, don't wait any longer. Sign up today using our special URL. Start your free trial at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash space. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash space. That way they know you came from us and you'll be helping to support our show. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash space. And of course, those URL details are in the show notes and on our website, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash space. And now, it's back to our show. You're listening to Space Time with Stuart Gary. NASA's transiting exoplanet survey satellite, TESS, has now finished its primary mission, imaging about 75% of the sky as part of a two-year-long survey. In capturing this giant mosaic of the heavens, Tess has found some 66 new exoplanets, that is, worlds beyond our solar system, as well as a further 2,100 candidate exoplanets, which astronomers are now working to confirm. Tess project scientist Patricia Boyd from NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland, describes the orbiting observatory as a roaring success, producing a torrent of high-quality observations, providing valuable data across a wide range of scientific topics. TESS monitors 24 by 96 degree strips of the sky, known as sectors, for about a month at a time using its four onboard cameras. The mission spent its first year observing 13 sectors comprising the southern sky, and then spent another year imaging the northern sky. Now in its extended mission, TESS has turned around to resume surveying the south. Meanwhile, the TESS team have introduced improvements to the way the spacecraft collects and processes data. Its cameras now capture a full image every 10 minutes, three times faster than during the primary mission. 
A new fast mode allows for the brightness of thousands of stars to be measured every 20 seconds, along with the previous method of collecting these observations from tens of thousands of stars every two minutes. The faster measurements will allow tests to better resolve brightness changes caused by stellar occultations and capture events like explosive flares from active stars in far greater detail. These new changes will remain in place for the duration of the extended mission, which will be completed in September 2022. After spending the next year imaging the southern sky, TESS will take another 15 months to collect additional observations of the north and to survey areas along the ecliptic, the plane of Earth's orbit around the sun, an area which the satellite has yet to image. TESS works by looking for transits, that is, the telltale dimming of a star caused when an orbiting planet passes in front of the star as seen from TESS's viewpoint. Among the mission's newest planetary discoveries are its first Earth-sized world, named TOI 700D, which is located in the habitable zone of its host star, that is, the region around a star where the conditions would allow liquid water, essential for life as we know it, to pool on the planet's surface. TESS has also revealed a newly formed planet around a very young star, AU Microscopy, and it's found a Neptune-sized world orbiting two stars. In addition to its planetary discoveries, TESS has observed the outburst of a comet in our solar system, as well as numerous novae and supernovae. It's discovered surprise eclipses in a well-known binary system, solved the mystery about a class of pulsating stars, and, as we mentioned earlier this week, explored a strange world experiencing star-modulated seasons. Even more remarkable, TESS witnessed a black hole in a distant galaxy shredding and consuming a sun-like star. Missions like TESS help contribute to the field of astrobiology, the interdisciplinary research on the variables and conditions of distant worlds which could harbour life as we know it, and what form that life might take. This report from NASA TV. TESS, the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, is NASA's newest planet hunter. The mission has operated for two years and has now mapped about 75% of the sky. This enormous area of coverage gives scientists unprecedented opportunities to search for new worlds beyond our solar system, as well as other cosmic phenomena. TESS completed its initial sky survey in July 2020. This giant mosaic is made from 26 sector images. Each sector is a 24 by 96 degree strip of sky monitored by TESS's four cameras for about a month. TESS discovered a trio of planets around GJ357, a red dwarf star just 31 light years away. The system's farthest planet, with about six times Earth's mass, is especially intriguing. It orbits in the outer part of the star's habitable zone. If this planet has an atmosphere thick enough to keep its surface warm, liquid water could exist there. TESS found another planetary trio around the star L98-59. The innermost world is the littlest found by TESS, and is 20% smaller than Earth. Later, scientists announced TESS had observed a star being torn apart by a black hole. Catching one of these tidal disruption events showcases the mission's ability to spot many kinds of short-lived phenomena, like stellar outbursts and supernovae, underscoring TESS's importance for studies beyond exoplanets. In early 2020, scientists announced TESS's first Earth-sized planet orbiting in its star's habitable zone. This world, called TOI 700D, is a little larger than Earth and probably rocky. Based on TESS and Spitzer data, researchers were even able to model potential weather systems. Analysis of the planet's atmosphere, if it has one, 
we'll have to await future space-based observatories like NASA's James Webb Space Telescope. TESS has found many systems very different from our own. TOI 1338 has a Neptune-sized planet orbiting a pair of stars. KELT-9 has a fast-spinning star with hot poles and a cooler equator. KELT-9b orbits over the poles, resulting in star-induced seasons that only last a few hours. Now that its primary mission is complete, TESS will return to the southern sky for another year-long survey. Many new planets, as well as more brief cataclysmic events, await astronomers as they scour the flood of TESS observations. China has successfully launched a new spy satellite as part of its ongoing program to provide Beijing with continuous uninterrupted satellite coverage of key strategic areas of the globe, such as the South China Sea, the Taiwan Strait, Tibet, the border with India, the citizens of Hong Kong, and its Belt and Road Initiative interests. The Gaofeng 905 remote sensing satellite was launched aboard a Long March 2D rocket from the Jiquan Satellite Launch Center in northwestern China. Gaofeng 905 has a sub-millimeter level resolution. As well as its primary military application, Beijing says the satellite will also be used for land surveys, city planning, land right confirmation, road network design, crop yield estimation, and disaster prevention and mitigation. This mission brings to 189 the number of reconnaissance and Earth observation satellites which have now been launched by China's communist government, not including military navigation or defence communication satellites. The mission also included a multifunction test satellite developed by the People's Liberation Army's Academy for Military Sciences and the Tian 5 experimental satellite for the People's Liberation Army's Military Academy. Both of these spacecraft will undertake communications, navigation, and remote sensing experiments. This is Space Time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with the Science Report. A new trial has raised questions about just how effective remdesivir really is for treating COVID-19 after it was found to have mixed results in patients with moderate pneumonia. The study, reported in the Journal of the American Medical Association, found that compared to standard care, those treated with the drug on a five-day course had a statistically significantly better clinical status by day 11. However, the authors say this is of uncertain clinical importance. That's because in a similar group who received the drug for an average of six days, there was no significant benefit. An accompanying editorial says there are now three randomised controlled trials for remdesivir in hospitalised patients with differing results. And that raises the question of whether the differences are down to the trial design or whether the drug itself is less effective than first hoped. The COVID-19 pandemic, which has spread globally from its origins in Wuhan, China, has now killed some 900,000 people worldwide and infected over 26 million others. A new study warns that despite all their green intentions, mining threats to biodiversity caused by renewable energy production could end up surpassing those averted by climate change mitigation. 
A report in the journal Nature Communications has mapped mining sites globally and it assessed how they coincided with biodiversity conservation sites. The authors found mining could potentially influence an area of around 50 million square kilometres of the Earth's land surface, with 82% of mining areas targeting minerals used in renewable energy production. They also found that 8% of mining areas coincided with nationally designated protective zones. 7% with key biodiversity areas and 16% with remaining wilderness sites considered important priorities for halting diversity loss. A new study suggests that women who are pregnant or trying to have a baby should consider avoiding caffeine. A report in the British Medical Journal looked at 37 observational studies about the effects of caffeine on six negative pregnancy outcomes – miscarriage, stillbirth, childhood leukaemia, low birth weight, childhood obesity, and preterm birth. A total of 42 separate findings were reported in the 37 studies, and of these, 32 found that caffeine significantly increased the risk of poor pregnancy outcomes, while a further 10 found either no or inconclusive associations. Well, it began by beating humans in chess. Now, an artificial intelligence-controlled virtual fighter jet has just beaten a human pilot in a dogfight. The AI had a clean sweep, winning five rounds to zero during the finale of the US military's Alpha Dogfight Challenge. The challenge is put on by the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, DARPA. The win is being seen by some as a turning point in what machine learning systems are capable of in the battlefield. To get there, the artificial intelligence had been through more than 4 billion simulations, or about 12 years worth of flight time. When I was a kid, I thought a chiropractor was a sort of specialist medical degree, like being a paediatrician or orthopedic surgeon. It was only much later in adult life that I discovered that chiropractors weren't real medical doctors. Sure, they undergo extensive training, even obtaining bachelor, masters and doctorates in their chosen courses. But chiropractors aren't medical doctors. They don't complete a medical degree, which involves a six- to seven-year program of medical sciences and clinical medicine, and they don't issue prescriptions. And, of course, the medical degree is only the start. To become, say, a family doctor, that is, a GP or general practitioner, requires a further three years of vocational training, covering many more detailed aspects of medicine not covered in the undergraduate training. And there are lots more exams and a fellowship exam. Instead, Chiropractic training involves a range of sometimes less conventional treatments. In fact, the Chiropractors Association of Australia positions chiropractic care as an alternative health system distinct from mainstream medicine. And Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptics says these non-mainstream treatments can include subjects which are dividing even the chiropractic community, such as support for a non-scientific supernatural force which they call vitalism. Chiropractic has two major fundamental things when it was first founded 100 years ago. That um, it has this issue of what's called a subluxation, which is your spine being out of whack, and that causes 95% of diseases, etc. No one is really sure what a subluxation is. And, uh, I was going to ask you about that. But I won't no, no one's sure. It's, but it's a, it's a basic tenet of, of chiropractic that you know, this thing exists, and therefore that's why they keep doing x-rays in chiropractors that uh, are not necessarily necessary. So this subluxation, which is a lot of chiropractors would say it doesn't exist. It's an archaic concept. And there's a big battle on the Cairo Wars, as it's called, between those who believe in subluxation. There's a fundamentalist belief in chiropractic and those who say it's archaic, forget it. The same thing applies to vitalism. Vitalism is the spirit. 
your vitalities, if you like. Yeah. Uh, yes, that sort of thing of the spirit, which will help to cure you, right? It's even more mystical and mysterious than subluxation is. If chiropractic was developed in the 1600s, you could understand vitalism in a pre-scientific world. But chiropractic's only been around for, you know, 100, 120, what is it, how many years it is. Not, not a huge amount of time. And such things as vitalism really smell of... Uh, 19th century spiritualism and things like that, mesmerism, areas like that. Vitalism is a spirit, and it's also it occurs through naturopathy as well. They look at this sort of the ability of the body to heal itself, and how does it happen? And this is sort of strange energies that does it. So it's totally unfounded. And there was quite a good research paper which you can look at. It's from a publication called Chiropractic and Manual Therapies. It is in a chiropractic thing, but it's called Vitalism in Contemporary Chiropractic: A Help or a Hindrance, and the conclusion is that it's a joke and it's a hindrance to the profession being taken seriously and that's part of the Cairo Wars as well so they're fighting over subluxation they're fighting over vitalism they say these things are unscientific and really if you keep using them in your profession you're looking like someone's rushing around with a strange outfit on performing you know shaking rattles and that sort of stuff it's uh it's very not good for their industry and which is really about lower back pain treatment um anything else which is sort of it's just carrying it too far so yeah vitalism is uh it's a strange concept and really is should not play a role in any sort of uh, effective evidence-based medicine is there any science to support chiropractic treatment at all or are we really just talking here about physiotherapy i think we're largely talking physiotherapy and most of them most of the serious chiropractors would agree the guy who founded who created the whole concept of chiropractic was a guy named daniel palmer american and it was sort of first founded in eight, in the mid 1890s so it's been around for 120 plus years and the whole concept that he put into it was very much 19th century spiritualism, non-science, non-evidence-based theories to support some strange occurrences that he claimed had happened, that he cured someone of was being blind or being deaf or something. That was his first patient that he saw, if I move the back, this will happen. And this whole concept of treating 95% of conditions because of manipulating your spine is totally unscientific, really hasn't passed any real proper tests. I mean, they claim everything from, from ADHD to bedwetting to bad dreams. And the of course, they are, a lot of chiropractors are also using what's called the Webster technique, which is manipulating a, a fetus or a baby, an infant within the womb, and then treating, cracking the spines of newborn infants, and we're talking days old infants. That sounds extremely dangerous. Extremely dangerous. And of course, yeah, if, if, a, if a rank amateur or even a not rank amateur starts twisting your neck suddenly, you can be sort of uh, creating situations which will give you a stroke, either straight away or down the track. There are very great dangers to a lot of the stuff. I mean, there's, yeah, there's dangers in medicine everywhere. Things can go wrong, right? But the suggestion that chiropractic can do no harm is, is not correct. But when you drag in these vitalisms and uh, subluxations and things which have no evidence at all, a lot of chiropractors get pretty upset. And there, is, there is a battle between the various chiropractic associations, some that follow the fundamentalist views put forward by Palmer and those that say these are archaic views that might have been okay then, but not now. And so um, it's interesting, vitalism is one of those ones that really, if chiropractors want to be taken seriously by anything apart from the new ages in the world, uh, they should drop. That's Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptics. And that's the show for now. 
Space Time is broadcast on Science Zone Radio by the National Science Foundation in Washington, D.C., and through both iHeartRadio and on TuneIn Radio. Or you can subscribe and download Space Time as a free podcast through Apple, Stitcher, Bytes.com, Pocket Casts, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, Audioboom, Podbeam, Android, Castbox, from SpaceTimeWithStuartGary.com, or from your favorite download podcast provider. You can help support the show and the work we do by visiting the Spacetime online shop and grabbing yourself a few goodies, or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to commercial-free double-episode versions of the show, as well as bonus audio content and other rewards. Just go to our Patreon page through SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com for all the details. If you want more space time, check out our blog, where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as loads of images, news stories, videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word and in lowercase, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at Stuart Gary on Twitter at Spacetime with Stuart Gary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel, and on Facebook, just go to www.facebook.com slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 